Aloha, beautiful souls. This is Randy, and I want to personally invite you to my free three-day challenge, the Fuck Your Fears Challenge. You know, I remember before I started my coaching business, I had this big dream of creating a massive impact by helping women heal their body image issues and learn to love and accept themselves. But I was stuck in my fear. I had invested over $40,000 in my education. I worked at a job that I was making six figures. And I was so worried that if I went after this dream, I would fail. Like, who am I to chase this dream? What if nobody buys from me? Who's going to want to hire me as a coach? I just had all of these fears that kept me stuck. But at the same time, I had this voice that would not stop coming back up and telling me that this is what I needed to do, that this is what I was called to do. And so I decided to say, fuck my fears. And I went after it anyways. And it was literally the best decision I ever made. And I see this problem all of the time, not just in my own life, but in my clients' lives as well. We are stuck by our fears. And our fears keep us stuck from really going after the things we desire in our lives. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if there was a way to face your fears so that you could finally achieve the things that you desire in your life and create the impact, influence, and income that you truly desire? Well, that's exactly why I created this free three-day challenge. In this free three-day challenge, you're going to get three days of free coaching from me all about how to identify what your fears are that are keeping you blocked and how you can push past them. So if you're ready to finally go after that big, scary dream, that that dream that makes you kind of want to pee your pants, you know the dream, then sign up for my free three-day challenge. The link is in the show notes, and I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Uplifting Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Darianne Smith, who is a kids fitness instructor who was recently diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Today, she shares with us, for the first time, her story. We talked to her about the power of your emotions and how not dealing with them leads to manifesting potentially harmful outcomes. We discussed the change she's made in her life that have allowed her to begin to thrive in the face of living with multiple sclerosis. Now let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Uplifting Podcast with your host, Randy and Catherine. This is a space for powerful women to share their story and to be real and raw about the truth of living your life's purpose. Any topic is fair game. We check gossip at the door so we can focus on building community and collaboration. This podcast will help you discover your individual power and give you the tools to live your most uplifted life. So let's find out what's uplifting you today. Welcome 
to the Uplifting Podcast. Today we have Darianne, and Darianne is a kids fitness instructor and a Laville, I hope I said that right, promoter for the Thrive Experience. She'll correct me if I didn't. (laughs) Um, And she has been dancing since the age of three years old, but it hasn't always been ballet recitals and rainbows. She's experienced um, a lot of hardship, including the loss of her father and being diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder six months later. Now she is on a mission to inspire other women to weather their own storm. So welcome, Derry Ann. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So we just want to just dive right in. You've had a really intense year with a lot of hardships. Can you kind of dive into that and explain, you know, what's been going on this past year? Of course. Um, So I guess it all started my, I grew up in Virginia and that's where I went to school. So I grew up in Northern Virginia, went to school in Southern Virginia and I ended up meeting my husband there. So a lot of different things happened. Um, and I think as you grow up, when you deal with different hardships, we tend to kind of just internalize it and not really deal with it and allow it to build up. So I guess all of my stuff coming out came when we moved to Hawaii. So my husband received orders. He is a U.S. Navy sailor, and he received orders to come here. We moved here in April of 2017. So I saw it as, oh, great, we get to start over. He had been on deployments. He had been underway. And I was like, oh, great, this is going to be a fresh start. We're going to be able to escape all of our problems. He works in an office now because he's on shore duty. No more issues. Hawaii is going to be the answer to all of our problems. And it actually ended up being the exact opposite. So when we arrived on the island, instead of everything kind of just going away, everything that I had been harboring for years all came out. And that was what I wasn't expecting. And I was like, whoa, this is just a lot. So we already came. um, I knew that I needed to get help just because I started having like just really bad manic episodes more with my husband than anything. I was really good at making sure I wasn't showing it to others. And so I did start going to therapy and I'm grateful that I did because we moved here knowing that my father had terminal cancer and that he was not going to be able to make it. So also our first couple of months here, it was just like a ticking time bomb. Every time that phone rang, it was like, is this going to be the call? Is this going to be the call? He was very honest with me. He had um, lymphoma and he did not have health insurance. So we knew it wasn't looking good. And it was just that constant stress. And we felt like we couldn't fully relax because every day was like, is this going to be the call? And he was so miserable. So he finally, well, not finally, but um, his battle with cancer came to an end on June 28th of 2017. So we had to go through the entire thing of flying back all the way from here. Surprisingly, the military found us a direct flight from Honolulu to D.C., which was crazy. Um, That's where my family still lived. So we flew back and... I won't get into detail, but I received a lot of hate from a lot of my family during the time. Um, I had a lot of family members who didn't even speak to me at my own father's funeral. So it was just a lot, and my husband just and I just kept taking it in, taking it in, taking it in. So after my dad passed, that was the thing I was prepared to deal with. What I wasn't prepared to deal with, but a lot of people don't 
talk about and why is something I try to talk about more is when you lose a, a loved one, specifically a parent, your identity changes. You're not the same person. And that's what I wasn't prepared for. So I was already adjusting to all of these different traumas coming up. I was adjusting to living in this new place. Now I'm adjusting to my dad being gone and now not having a relationship with a lot of family members who I'd had close relationships with. So I kept trying to be me and I kept trying to be myself. And I was trying really hard because as a woman, specifically as a black woman, we're taught to be strong, strong, strong. That's it. So I fought myself on so many different things, convincing myself to be strong and not being honest with myself. In my marriage, my marriage ended up suffering because my husband didn't know how to cope. He had never lost a parent. And so that's another thing that people don't talk about is people think, oh, you're married. You have your husband. At least he's there to hold you. What people don't realize is, yes, I am very grateful to have had my husband during that time to support me. But when you're going through something that deep, and you have to figure out how to pull yourself out of bed, it's so much more difficult when you have someone depending on you. And there were some moments where I'm like, man, at least if it was just me, I could be just letting myself down. But now I'm letting him down. How do I still be the wife that he needs me to be and be the support that he needs me to be while still being there for myself? And there were some days where I didn't know how to pull myself out and I couldn't even explain to him the feelings of what I went through. And while I was never suicidal and it never got to that point, I started to understand how people could be suicidal, how people could see that there is just no hope for anything getting better. And I could have, I mean, we lived in Hawaii. We were going on these beautiful hikes and we had people coming to visit us and living in this beautiful place. And still when it was in those dark moments, it's like all of those beautiful moments just didn't even matter. Just were just non-existent. And then I returned to work and I was offered a promotion. And again, be strong, be strong, be strong. This is what dad would want. And I wasn't honest with myself. I wasn't ready to take it but I took it and that just created another snowball of just horrible work ethic and just always feeling like a, I was a failure and just not able to put things into my business. And at one point I was seriously going to bed every single day telling myself that I was a failure, tossing and turning every single night, not getting good night's sleep, not dealing with things okay. But again, I'm strong. I can do this. I'm good. Like still maintaining the smile on my face, still telling people to be positive. Everybody was saying, you're dealing with your dad's death so well. And I wasn't because we didn't really establish relationship until later on towards the end of his life. So again, internalizing everything and still even going to therapy. Still even talking to people, but not truly being honest. So I want to say maybe in September of October, so again, dad died June 28th, maybe September or October, I would be driving and I'd be checking my blind spot and I started to get a little twinge right here. Not exactly sure. And again, we self-medicate, like, or we try to not self-medicate, but um, self-diagnose. Oh, you know, because I wouldn't do, I'm very active. I teach um, 
three to four kids fitness classes at a time. Each of those classes are an hour. So that's sometimes I'm moving for up to four hours straight. And constantly lifting kids, equipment, being super over the top with our lot of announcements. It's a very physically taxing job. So I told myself, oh, you're probably getting, you know, your migraines and stuff. Um, you know, you probably just need to eat more protein. You're probably not putting enough into your body. That's probably what it is. Because, um, you know, I take really good vitamins. I take my Thrive, which I do have to stop and say this. That Thrive is... They are my vitamins. It is not medication. So moving on, I am not making any medical claims about Thrive. I do have to make sure I make that clear. <laughs> so getting this twinge right here, not sure what's going on. And again, still ignoring it. It continued. And the week of the week before Christmas, it got really, really bad. And it would not go away. And I'm like, what is going on? Again, still stressing. At this time, I'd stepped down from my position at work, but still, again, not handling my stress, not sleeping well, thinking about, I mean, really, when I say I used to create these scenarios in my head about all the horrible things that would happen and how do I prepare for them, and anxiety was through the roof. And Time goes on, and the twinge kept happening. The week before Christmas, it got really bad. And I remember, um, at this point, it wasn't going away. And I'm like, what is this? What is this pain going on? It wouldn't go away. And I remember going to lunch with a friend that Wednesday before Christmas. And I was like, something's going on. I was like, it's, it's just not going away. She's like, well, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. Maybe I should, you know, better sleep. Need to be careful. Again, still not really paying attention. That Friday morning, I woke up. Something's not right. And I knew it. But still, strong. Strong. Gotta stay strong. My vision started to blur. Like an idiot, I drove to work. I drove to work. And I remember my husband telling me, we probably need to take you to the doctors. And I told him, we'll go when I get off of work. How dumb was that? That was so stupid and just not taking care of myself. So I drove to work anyway. And the further I drove to work, the more my vision blurred. And I was like, girl, you need to get it together because something is up. Like, and so I got to work and I told my boss, I was like, I'm so sorry. I know this is unprofessional. I know this puts you in a bind. But I could go to the ER. I can't see. I don't know what's going on. I need to go. She was like, obviously, she was like, uh, Okay, uh, keep me updated. So, came home, Simon took me to the ER, and um, they gave me, um, they gave me ibuprofen <laughs> for, um, for vision loss. That's a whole different story. So, God. so the following day, it got really, really bad again. This was, so at this point, this was December 23rd. And my vision is completely gone. And I remember December 22nd was that Friday. And they're making me look at that big chart with all the different letters. And I could somewhat still see the E, the large E that's at the top. So the following day, so I was like, maybe you need to rest. You know, you need to figure out what's going on. Simon has had Reiki done in the past. He's like, you're probably just really stressed. Let's have you, let's do a Reiki session. I said, okay. We're at a Reiki session done. And again, I was hoping, because we don't want that quick fix, 
as soon as the Reiki session was done, I could just come out of it and be able to see you again. <laughs> nope, not how it happened. So um, we ended up, you know, we, we're still trying to be a Simon and I like to move forward and just keep going. So I remember we went to the Alani Resort because he used to work at Disney, huge Disney person. And then and it's so funny because we have all these pictures that we were taking. It's crazy, like, how we hide the paint behind the smiles. As I look back on those pictures now, knowing that I couldn't even see. And we were at the Disney Resort, and I heard of, like, the neighborhood out there that does all the lights together. I was like, maybe we can go see them. And those lights started really beating down, and I was like, absolutely not. So Simon had duty the next day. For those who are not familiar with duty, that's when he has to go in for 24 hours, and he doesn't come back until the following day. So he had duty on Christmas Eve, which means he wouldn't be back until Christmas morning. So this was probably around like 7 or 8 o'clock on December 23rd. I was like, babe, you have duty tomorrow. You have to be up early. He's like, no, I don't care. We're going back to the ER. I was like, oh, I don't want to. Thankfully, the doctors there were much more thorough, and they told me about, they thought I had something that was called optic neuritis. Now, at this point, when they put up that chart and I covered my right eye, the BE wasn't even visible anymore. And they were trying to pinpoint exactly how bad my vision was. I remember them taking a needle and poking a hole through a piece of paper to be able to hold my eye up to it to see if I could at least, like, maybe if they, like, zeroed into my vision, that would help. And I kept saying, I'm telling you, I am seeing nothing. Like, I don't know what part I'm not, that I can't see anything. You guys are not understanding. Zero, nothing. See, like, I get that you have to be thorough and you're doing all these tests, but I'm telling you that my vision is gone. I remember the only thing I could see was peripheral. I could see if it was holding up here, and I could see if it was holding above and below. But because I remember the doctor moving his finger, if it was in front of me, I couldn't see it. If it was to the side, I could. But it, then if I turned my direction to look, I wouldn't be able to see it. Wow. It was only directly that I couldn't see anything. Huh. Like, you know what? He said, Mrs. Smith, these are the holidays. You know, a lot of people are um, on, you know, vacation. He's, I'm going to set up a follow-up appointment on Wednesday with Dr. Parlin. That's our ophthalmologist here. And he'll get down to the bottom of this. Cool. Let's figure that out. He said, we think you have something called optic neuritis, but I want to have him actually give you the diagnosis. So what's the first thing that we do when we get any type of medical stuff? We Google it, right? So I went home and I Googled optic neuritis, and the first thing that popped up were the two, two of the scariest letters, MS, multiple sclerosis. And I wasn't too familiar with MS up until this point, but I do know that I have had people I know affected by it. Um, one particular, I have a guy I went to college with for the same age, and he, he has to use a cane. So, of course, I freaked out. I was like, oh, get off Google, girl. That is not going to be good for you. Wait until you meet with your ophthalmologist. So I went in the following Wednesday again. This is all over Christmas that we're dealing with all this. And this is the first Christmas without my father. And really the first Christmas without my family. And I remember December 27th, I went in. Dr. Parlin, which if I could clone him and put him into every physician that I had to go visit, I would. He is amazing. So he did the eye test with me, and 
this is full of tears because I'm sitting there and I, they kept putting up the screen and everything. I'm just like, I cannot see. Like, I understand you guys have to do these tests, but Mrs. Smith, can you see this? No. Mrs. Smith, can you see that? No. I can't see. Fix me. <laughs> and so, of course, I'm crying because I've always had 20-20 vision. So I'm freaked out. And I went to Dr. Perlin. He said, okay, Mrs. Smith, 25% of MS patients do start with optic neuritis. Wow. He said, only 25%. He said, but I'm going to go ahead and order your MRI today. And he was like, and then no news is good news. If you hear from me, that means that you have to come back in. So as soon as I left the ophthalmologist, we went straight to the MRI. And that's when I had my first, which I've already been crying to this point. But um, for those who have never experienced an MRI, you have to have one done on your full body. Then you have to be inserted with dye for them to be able to compare your first picture to the picture with dye. Well, due to the stress and due to me not being used to doctors, they couldn't find my veins to be able to insert the dye. So we had to call a sonogram artist to come to take a sonogram of my arm to find my veins oh my to be able to put, and that was just the start to just a snowball effect. So I'm dealing with all these emotions. And so we had to do the MRI and then we went home. The next day, I filled in some of my closest friends of what was happening. I said, you know what? I'm going to focus on the 75% chance that it's not MS and we're going to be, you know, good to go. So I went about my day and then my phone rang. I was like, oh, man. And it was my ophthalmologist who he, I told him he needs to give a class on how to deliver bad news. He said, Mrs. Smith, he said, I'm so sorry. It, you do have lesions on your brain. So we do need you to come back in today to be able to sit down with our neurologist to start. We do think this is multiple sclerosis. He said, I'm so sorry to be the person to give you this news. He said, I'll stay on the phone as long as you need me to. I'll answer any questions. If I don't know the answer to those questions, I'll find out. He was phenomenal and he was so patient. Um, and he's like, but well, we do need you to come back in today. And so, of course, I'm like going through a whirlwind at this point. Like, what does this mean? You know, I'm super active. Do I have to leave my job? Like, I don't know what any of this means. And that's why I called my husband just in tears. And I was like, they think I have MS. You need to come with me. And I do have to give it up to, I know as military families, a lot of people Sometimes I'll have the best experiences with military doctors. I have to give it up to the people at Tripler Army Medical Center. They really handled my situation and really got me through quickly. And then my husband's command, I have to give it to them as well. They allowed him to be with me every step of the way. And I know that that's not always the case with every situation. So this was December 28th, exactly six months after my father's passing. And so I'm sitting in the room with a neurologist going over my MRI, which revealed all the lesions on my brain. I think I have like five or six. And so how multiple sclerosis works is an autoimmune disease that wears away on the myelin sheath. The myelin sheath is the protective layer that we have surrounding our nerves, leading to our spinal cord and to our brain. So what 
multiple sclerosis does is it tricks your immune system into keeping that protective layer whole. So it wears away at that layer, which is what throws off the nerves, leading to the spinal cord and to the brain. So the reason I couldn't see was because it was causing nerve damage, causing the vessels behind my eye to be inflamed. And that's why I couldn't see. So, he, so they told me about my different options. He said, you know, MS, there's no cure. So we can just do, um, he said, we can either do infusions to bring your vision back, or you could try to see if it will go away on your own. He, but he was very honest with me. He said, but with the severity and how quick your vision went down, just know that if you try to let it resolve on its own, it could take a while and it could affect your right eye. Oh, so this wow. meant more infusion. This meant more needles. So on December 28th, as we're sitting there and I receive it, and again, they couldn't find my veins. So in all, excuse me, I was poked by nine people in three days because nobody could find my veins. And I, looking back now, it was also stress. And I remember like the head doctor coming in and he asked me, he said, well, you know, well, what's going on? And I told him, he said, wait a minute, this has all happened in the past week. I said, yeah, he was like, you've had a rough week. I said, yeah, like and obviously like in tears and every single time somebody had to stick me, it would just be a huge ordeal where I'd be in tears and crying and appreciate you hear me all throughout the ER. So ultimately, Within an eight-day period, Simon and I did five ER visits, the ophthalmologist, an MRI, and a neurologist. Because to receive my infusions, I had to go to the ER three days in a row, where they had to stick me, and then we had to wait 30 minutes for it to take into my body. So in that moment, obviously I'm sitting, how did I get here? Like, how did this happen? What, what led me to this? And that's what I really started reflecting on how I've been handling my stress, what was happening into my life, what I was allowing people to do. And I was just like, girl, you're going to have to make some changes. Like, this is serious. Clearly, it wasn't anything physical because I took care of myself physically. I took care of myself very well. Um, because even when I asked my doctors, I said, well, should I quit my job? Like, they were like, absolutely not. We need you to remain active. They said, that's what the biggest thing that's going to keep you healthy. So I started to make some emotional changes, and I knew that it was time. So I am here to say that, thankfully, my vision returned within a week. Um, I um, My vision is fully recovered. And so Randy knows this. My magic number is now 28. June 28th is when my father passed. December 28th was when um, I was receiving the news that I did have MS. And then September 28th of this year was when I had my last MRI done that deemed that I am stable. So there has been, there are no more new lesions and I am in the stable category where my disease is not progressing in this time. So people have asked me, you know, well, what have you changed? And then my favorite is, you don't look sick. Because I'm not sick. Like, and that's, that's been such a misconception with people who have different diseases is people think that you're supposed to 
look a certain way or walk around a certain way. First of all, when it comes to a lot of autoimmune diseases, a lot of people, we call it the iceberg disease, where you don't see what's under the surface. You couldn't see that I couldn't see. That's not something that you can tell. But I also tell people, you can be happy and healthy with an autoimmune disease. I'm proof of it. Like, but it has to be certain things in the way that you're taking care of yourself. So people ask me what changes I've made. I thought about, you know, obviously I do not take medication. I take medication twice a day. And again, that doesn't, there's no cure for MS. It just tries to trick your immune system into thinking that it's not progressing as fast as it could on its own. But when I think about changes that I've made in my life, I'm like, other than my medication, it has all been mental, emotional, and spiritual. That, that's really been it. Um, putting my foot down with certain people, not taking BS from people, um, being protective of my energy, and being serious about that, and knowing that it is really my health on the line at this point. Um, and also, I talk about how bad my anxiety was before my diagnosis, and it's crazy. My diagnosis is actually what helped me with my anxiety, because I used to think about all these horrible scenarios of this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and that's going to happen. And I remember even having the thought, you are wasting precious moments, and there are people out there actually dealing with stuff. It's kind of a slap in the face to people who are really dealing with things. So once I actually got my diagnosis, I was like, don't you feel stupid? You had all those precious moments, and you wasted them. And now, sorry, I'm a little nasally. <laughs> but I um, had all those precious moments, and I wasted them. And I'm like, and now it's here, and you got to deal with it. So don't you feel stupid. So, yes, is there a possibility that this disease could debilitate me? Yeah, I understand the reality of it. Um, I am currently listening to Michelle Obama's book, which I am in love with. Um, and her dad had a mess. And she talks about him going from having a limp to walking with a cane, to walking with crutches, to being in a wheelchair. So I understand how progressive and how debilitating my disease is. So is that reality there? Yes. However, almost a year into my first flare-up, I am one of the most active people I know. I do a very physically taxing job, and I do it with a smile on my face, and I love doing it. So I'm not going to spend the good days that I do have, being stressed out about days that may never come. At the end of the day, my medication didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, like there are certain things that we didn't know 10 years ago and there's so many different promising things that you can do. So I'm trying not to focus on that portion and just be grateful for each day. And you know, going to bedside am a Christian and I have a very strong relationship with God and I don't push my religion on anybody else but um, that's something that I hold very near and dear and something that's very important to me and I do think there's no way to tell but I do think that my first layer was stress induced and the reason I feel that way is because um, within the past two weeks 
I've had two more friends who I found out that their parents have been diagnosed with cancer as well. So that's been tough to take in. And I have another friend who's been going through a tough situation who I've been trying to be there for him in that situation. And I received like all this information within like a day. And I felt it start to creep back. Oh, wow. And so what I did was I locked myself in a room. I put on worship music and I'm just, all right, girl, this is about your health. Take care of yourself. And I, so again, not saying that that's some sort of medical, like cure and all this kind of stuff, but I've learned how to calm myself down. And when I discussed it with my neurologist last week, she said, you do have to be careful of your stress. So that's why I teach people now, be careful of your stress because it does really affect the physical. And if you're not careful, it can get really bad. So that is my best story so far. <laughs> Holy moly. Holy. I'm, I'm in shock. I don't think I've known anyone personally with MS before. So to hear your story and what you've been through, like one, thank you for sharing that because that's, you've clearly been through a lot this past year. And here you are thriving, I would say. <laughs> with that's amazing. Um, Besides that, though, I really resonate with your story, with the anxiety, with the stress and the physical manifestations and people saying, you're fine. But also that internal dilemma of, I, I kind of went through that too as like a tomboyish kind of child, like, oh, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. Push away, push away. Don't, don't face it. Just, you know, ignore it, basically. But what I don't think people realize is there is strength in accepting your emotions in dealing with it dealing yeah facing it because the the facing it is the scary part and that's where the strength comes in so yeah. i applaud you for what you're doing that's fantastic you're on an amazing amazing journey um thank you it's, it's so incredible so when you teach now what kind of things are you teaching those around you clients things of that nature to kind of manage stress but also just to face difficult emotions you know, um, I tell everybody it's one day at a time. Everything is one day at a time. Um, I've also told people, don't be afraid to take a break from it um, if you need to. So after my vision came back, the final test they have to do to determine that like, there's no true test for a mess. They just kind of rule out everything else. So they have to do a spinal tap. And that is the official, okay, this is what we believe you have. My husband and I took three weeks off. I was like, uh-uh, we need a break. We're gonna take a break and then we'll come back to it. So I told people when you're taking things in, don't be afraid to take that break. Um, and I've had, I have different families of different, um, of different needs and everything. And I always tell people just to take it one step at a time, to take those breaks, and to figure out the strength in it. I call it seeing the light, um, seeing the light in darkness. And the thing is, like, there's so many things that happen that can turn into something beautiful for someone else. And we all have this, like, cookie-cutter idea of what we think life should be or how we feel life should go. Um, and that's just, it's accepting the reality of this is your reality and finding the strength in that. 
um, and how you can use it to help other people. Because again, so we start with little ones ages seven months. So I have a lot of people who are, they, a lot of things come to the forefront and we figure out a lot of things about a little one at a very early age. And I'm always, you know, just encouraging people. Most of my families do not know about my disease. Wow. Um, just because I'm very selective. This is actually the first time I've even like shared it publicly outside of women speak. Um, it's just because I, if I'm being honest, I hate the sympathy look. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm fine. Like, Oh, I hate that. <laughs> like I don't want to be sympathized. And so I'll only share with those who I feel like are going through their own tough time to show them like, Hey, you know what? Yeah, it stinks. Yeah. It's, a lot to take in, but you can use it to grow. You can use it to even tap into certain things that you didn't even think you were aware of, certain strengths that you didn't even know that you had. So that's what I'm trying to just teach people. Um, and also, it's okay to be selfish. It's okay to be like, you know what, no, I cannot commit to this, or I will not do, deal with this, or I won't deal with your crap because I got to take care of me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's two parts of your story that I just really resonated with. And the first part was that health is not really a look. Hmm. Yeah. You know, like I think so often people judge how you look on the outside hmm. to be whether or not you're healthy. Yes. But it's so much more than just, I feel like there's feedback on here. What's going on? Do you hear that? A little bit. Yeah. Okay, hopefully it's not an issue, but okay. sorry if you're listening to this and there's feedback. Um, <laughs> I anyway. can still hear you just fine. <laughs> okay, good. Hopefully it doesn't, you know, show up on the audio. Okay. But, um, yeah, I think that people will look at, judge how you look on the outside and judge your health, but I think that you touched on that. So much more of our health is really, you know, how we're treating ourselves and our thoughts and not just, you know, our physical actions and, you know, how active we are or the food we ingest. Like, it's also, you know, our thoughts and the people we surround ourselves with and how we deal with those difficult emotions. And the other thing that you touched on that I thought was really important is just the importance of living in the moment and understanding that, a lot of times the stresses that we create may or may not happen, right? And yeah. we're like creating them for really no reason. And if you focus on the here and now in the moment that we have now, a lot of times I think that that stress that we create in our lives can be alleviated when we just focus on being present in the moment. And I think exactly. that your story is so such a powerful example of both of those things that we really have to deal with health as a holistic approach and we have to really be present in the moment and not create these stresses that really are self-induced, right? Yes. But I think it's a defense mechanism, you know, um, especially when you've been through different things and like, and this is just what I've been through in the past year and a half. There has been a lot more before this that we'll save that for another day. Uh, but 
I think it's just, it becomes a defense mechanism. So you create those scenarios and you create those stresses to be like, okay, well, if this were to happen, how would I deal with it? And how can I prepare if this comes up? And how can I prepare if that comes up? That you're right, that we forget that we're right where we are and there is physically nothing we can do about tomorrow. And what this entire situation has taught me between my dad's death, between my diagnosis, just all this kind of stuff, is life is just going to happen. And that's it. And we have to deal with it when, we, when it comes. But while there's a lot of nastiness and negativity and tragedy in life, there's also that balance of a lot of beauty, a lot of goodness, a lot of light. So we also have to learn to acknowledge those because if not, all that other stuff will pull you down. So that's why, you know, I even ask my friends, like, do you practice daily gratitude? Like, how often do you say positive affirmations? Like, how often do you even watch what's going around you and how you allow it to affect you? Because so I've been, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and so the book that I've been listening to lately is um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. And so it's really, really tough, and I'm really trying to bring it into my daily life, but being proactive versus reactive and how important that is. And so the other day, a situation happened and I came home and I was so drained. Like I was so drained. And I was like, okay, so what's going on? Like, and I, I talked to myself, let's talk about it. What's going on? And I was like, because I allowed myself to let this other person have so much of an effect on me that I allowed my own energy to be sucked from me. So it's really about being proactive and understanding that you have the power over your own personality, over your own mood. And if you allow somebody to affect that, that was on you, not on them. Just just let it roll. Yeah. See who they're going to be. Yeah. And you kind of touched on a couple things, but what are some practical things that you practice whether it's daily or when you kind of feel those moments of stress to alleviate your stress, reduce your stress, kind of just bring you back to this moment. Um, So a lot of people laugh when I say this, but I pray. I pray a lot. Um, So in the mornings, my husband knows my first few moments and everything. I just need, I go shut myself. We do have a spare bedroom and I'll play like worship music and I'll do my daily stretching. And that's just where I really try to, clear my mind um i'm still working on that sometimes those thoughts still creep in so i'm still work in progress but really just clearing my mind um i do a journal and then i read um i I read a chapter of a book usually it's a book by um one of my pastors who i love he has really really um good things to say and really things that stick with me and then from there i normally do like my morning cleaning like whatever I got to do in the house, and then I'll put on an audio book, whether it's the seven um, habits of highly effective people or Michelle Obama's. And so I'll just listen to different audio books and really getting my mind right. Um, and then on my way to work, I'll continue with an audio book instead of music yeah. to kind of have my mind zeroed in. In those moments, if I'm having a tough time, I learn how to zero out and just focus and take that moment, even if it's just like going to the bathroom to kind of refocus, clear my mind, figure out, even just think about, okay, well, this situation is making you upset. What can you do to change it? You cannot focus on what this other person is doing or how they're making you angry. 
what can you do to change it? And that's kind of how I refocus myself. I think that's important to note. Sorry, you can mm-hmm. ask in a second. Um, whether or not, like whether you call it praying or meditating or whatever terminology you want to use, it's important to kind of, like you said, come back to this moment, but also set an intention. I think that's yeah. what people don't realize. Cause like with your MS, that's something that was kind of manifested out of your anxiety and what you were focusing on. And same thing in the opposite direction. I don't think a lot of people understand that you have the power to create your emotions on yeah. a moment basis. So you taking the time to sit there and say, what do I want to like, what am I feeling? And what do I want to feel? I think is so powerful, especially in your healing journey. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think so much of your story is like taking that responsibility, right? Yes. Over yeah. what happened to you over your illness, right? And how you not dealing with those emotions allowed it to manifest into your life as MS. Mm -hmm. And also now taking the responsibility over your thoughts, over your mind, being proactive with that. I think so many people, like people ask me like, you know, what do you do? What's the magic pill? And it's like, it's those daily practices. It's honestly the simple things like (laughs) practicing gratitude, like meditating, like starting your day with a morning routine, like that basic shit. Like, it it really is, right? Yes, it definitely is. Um, Speaking life into yourself, having those positive affirmations, but also like just loving yourself and not expecting your love to come from anybody but you and I talk about that a lot. So I have been married three and a half years now. And I tell people all the time, you have to have that self-love. And I think a lot of people are thinking that it's going to come from your spouse or it's going to come from this. It has to come from you first. And that's just so important because and I've had those moments where I don't have that self-love. And I don't care what he says. I don't care how much he tells me I'm beautiful, how much, which I still love that. Thank you, babe, if you can hear me. So I, still love, I still love for him to tell me you know, how much he loves me and all that kind of stuff. But if I'm not feeling it, yeah. it's, it's not going to happen. And that's why I always tell people, especially to my single friends, get yourself love first. Because if you get married thinking that your love and your self-worth are going to come from your spouse. You're in for a very rude awakening. Oh, yeah. Very. Because it, it, it doesn't. It has to come from you. Yeah. Well, I feel like we haven't really even, like, got to touch on so many of the things that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> so I feel like there's going to be a part two with Darianne. So um, if you guys absolutely love Darianne, you got to let us know. Because um, there's just so much more to her story that I want to dive into. But... We're running out of time. So I want to ask you, is there anything that we haven't asked you that you would like to share or questions you wish we would have asked? You know, I know that you and I, I think today was more, this is my first time being really public about um, my disease. So I guess for today, no, because it's good. And and Randy, you and I have already had our talks, but there's so many different things that I'd love to be able to dive into later. So even this is towards those who are watching. Again, I am a black woman who grew up in Virginia and had to deal. I am a dark-skinned black woman with no hair, if you cannot see, who chose to cut it all off. I love to talk about that. I love to talk about race. I love to talk about how we can all come together. I like to call it my 
triracial family. Um, my husband is from Honduras, and he was adopted. His parents are white. So just the conversations that we get to have and the different ways that our family even speaks to different people. So um, I guess if anybody's looking to hear those, again, today was about my MS, but I like to talk about so many different things um, mm -hmm. and just inner beauty. And, you know, I think you saw last week, this woman asked me <laughs> if I was going to wear a wig to my husband's holiday party. Um, and not understanding that you can be fully comfortable in who you are with no hair as a woman. So even how we can kind of change the narrative to what a woman is supposed to be and how we're working with those coming up under us and teaching young girls how to truly love themselves. So any of those topics, you know, um, Randy, I'd love to be able to go into more of those later. Um, yeah, I, I definitely want to have you back on to talk about <laughs> like, you know, some of the race stuff yes. because, you know, obviously being white, um, I have a lot of my own white privilege that I've been waking yeah. up to this past year and really understanding things about race that I didn't really understand before. And it's been because I've been surrounding myself with amazing, you know, black sisters like yourself who honestly have been so like patient with me and my own growth and understanding because, you know, I didn't even know that there was difference between dark-skinned and light-skinned, you know, black women and the things that you go through. So I would love to have a conversation about that because you have been such a huge um, catalyst in my own growth in understanding my own white privilege and breaking down those barriers uh, because, yeah, I just didn't even realize that for so long. And so I would love to dive into that conversation yeah. more. Um, so definitely going to have you on again because you are so amazing. Um, but yeah, we have one final question that okay. I will ask. So we like to give our listeners and viewers kind of some practical tips on ways that they can uplift themselves now. So what are things that you would suggest or advise our listeners and our audience to do that could help them uplift their, up, hello, uplift their lives right now. <laughs> okay. Um, one, like we talked about, daily routines. Yeah. Just that daily time with yourself, even if it's just, okay, you guys start with five minutes. Five minutes is all you have for your day. Start there. Start as small as you need to because if you start really getting in the habit of it, you start to crave that time. And that time and you won't want to it's like oh man five minutes wasn't enough i need more time with myself so one daily routines two if a person is not doing anything for your life if they are not bringing anything positive to your life write out a pros and cons list think about the past few years and what has gone on in your life if they're not bringing any positivity into your life that's family that's friends that's anybody eliminate them it is not worth it. And when you eliminate those people, that leads me to my third point, surround yourself with positive people. That is going to be so key. And I think that as we're ending 2018, that's been the biggest thing that has been so important to me was my official diagnosis was in February. I attended my first Spark game in April. And I knew that I had to start surrounding myself with like-minded people. And so that is going to end up with some people not moving ahead with you or getting mad with you or not understanding your journey. If they don't understand your journey, like 
Find people who will, and there are people who are out there who will understand your journey, who are looking to support you, who are looking to uplift you and encourage you. It is possible. There was a quote that I posted a few weeks ago. It was like, um, you didn't do anything wrong. You just grew and they got mad. Let them be mad. And this is something that honestly, and I've never shared this with you before, Randy, but something that you even shared that stayed with me is that everybody is on their own journey. And sometimes they're going to even hurt you accidentally. And it's not even something that they're doing on purpose, but they're on their own journey and you have to respect their journey. So if that means that you guys can't be intertwined anymore, that's what that means. I don't believe that everybody is supposed to move into the next chapter with you. Absolutely. So find your tribe yeah. and find those. They always say you're the average of the five people that you hang around. So find those five. <laughs> That's all you need, right? <laughs> yeah. You I really mean, don't like, need a huge, you know, I think when I was younger, I thought I needed to have all these friends and yeah. like, you know, even on social media, we have to have all the followers and all the likes, but really it's about those people you have in person that you can yeah. really connect with it really is like you only need a handful of people. In yes. And I'm so glad that you are one of my people, Darianne. Yay, I absolutely I'm love you. Yeah, Thank love you so too. much for your, you know, your time and sharing this morning with us. Um, can you tell our listeners and our viewers where they can find you and how they can connect with you more? I am on Facebook, um, Darianne Smith. I know my name is D-A-R-I-A-N-N-E, last name Smith, not many Darians out there, so not too hard to find me. So I'm on Facebook. I am also on Instagram as AmbitiousGirl91. I love to connect with people. Um, I specifically love to connect with those. If you've lost a loved one and you don't have anybody to talk to, please don't hesitate to reach out. I don't care if you're a stranger. Like, that doesn't bother me. Um, I connect with people all the time, whether it's just through messenger. I always want to be that listening ear. If you're on the mainland, I always joke. The beautiful thing is if it's in the middle of the night, I'm most likely still up (laughs) just because of the time difference. But um, don't suffer in silence because it's just not a good place to be, especially for those of us who have lost parents at young ages. My dad was only 61. So I love to connect with those. Don't hesitate to reach out to me. If I don't respond, it's just because I'm on the floor flipping children. Yes, I do flip children. Um, but I always get back. But you connect with me on Facebook. Or you can send me an email, um, Smith 15 at gmail.com. Always looking to connect with people. And, yeah, so that's and about we'll, it. We'll put all of your information in the show notes and everything so people can connect with you. That's and great. Thank you so much. You You've so been much, so amazing. And oh, thank I know this you. so great for so many people. Oh, so thank you. thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. You ladies have a good day. Yes, you. you too. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of your day with us. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on. To continue the conversation, follow Catherine and Randy on social media. Our links are listed in the show notes. We can't wait to share another powerful story with you next week. And until then, stay stay uplifted. uplifted.